Well, we're going to look at uh, God and in his relationship to power this morning as we look at the last of these attributes, at least the last of the ones that, that uh, we've studied in our brief brief time together. It's always good to remember as you, as you study any particular aspect of God's character or nature or attributes that God is one. You know, hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one, one Lord. And um, we have to, because of our limitations, study him in, in areas, <laughs> you know. We have to designate, are we studying, you know, the attributes of God? If so, what aspect of those attributes? Are we talking about uh, his incommunicable attributes like we've studied here, some of them, meaning that the things that only God himself can be, they're not communicated to others? Are we talking about his communicable communicable, easy word to say, attributes, those such as love and grace, faithfulness, uh, that he has in fact by his grace communicated to us and we can reflect the nature of God. And so, and, and even, even when you're talking about any one particular area, you find yourself having to still uh, categorize and, and designate areas so that your mind can begin to grasp it. And so, uh, but remember, the whole, uh, whole point of, uh, of that is that God is one. He is not divided. He's, his attributes are one. Uh, and so not, it's not part of God to be, you know, uh, omniscient and, and imminent. And it, it's, it's, it's who he is just as much as his grace. And his wrath is as much a part of God as uh, love. In fact, I shouldn't even use the word part. God is love. God is wrath. Maybe an accurate way to help us to to center on the idea that God is one. So, but today we're going to study God and His relationship to power. When we mean power, we mean ability, cap- capability, or what one is able to do. When we think of ourselves, we always have to think of ability in the limited fashion. Wouldn't it be great to be able to do everything you wanted to do? And in some sense, you say, oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, I always want to do these things, but I find I'm lacking in ability. So our power to live and move and have our being is derived from a source outside of ourselves, namely God, who who created us. We, in Him, it says in Acts 17, we live and move and have our being. We do that in Him. In other words, it's derived from our Creator that that we exist and that we do this or that. But God does not derive his ability or his power from any source outside of himself because there is nothing and no one greater than God from which he could derive it. So God's power is not derived at all. God's power is inherent. It is who God is to be completely able and uh, powerful. And so his power is from no one but himself, meaning that his power is unlimited because God is unlimited. And so... I picked a quote out from uh, Dr. John Gill uh, in the late 1700s, and he said, uh, he said this, God is an infinite being, and so is every perfection of his. Since his power, I'm sorry, since power is attributed to God, it must be understood that that power is infinite. He is unlimited and unbounded as to his power, and so is omnipotent. And so if God is infinite, and he is, then and power is attributed to him, his power is also an infinite power. And so there on the sheet that you have, uh, it says that 
The infinity of God with reference to his power is called his omnipotence. Omni as in all or uh, universal and potence power, omnipotence. By this, we mean he has the power to do all he wills to do. Just like we recognize we do not have the power to do all we will to do. And in many cases, that's a good thing in this present condition, uh, you know, because we're not yet glorified. And so our will is often driving us to want and desire things that are not necessarily right. We have to be corrected by the word and the spirit in that respect. But God, who is perfect, has the power to do all he wills to do. His power is absolute and is limited only by his own nature. I want to talk about that aspect of it in, in just a little bit. And so, so let us look to the scripture to get, uh, get maybe uh, an idea of some of these uh, aspects of God's power. We, we turn first to Revelation uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. And uh, these, these verses that we look at this morning will help us to, uh, to answer some of the basic questions that we might ask in relation to a being who has all the power uh, to do all they want to do. In the Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8, notice what is said by, by the Lord. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so here in this verse, we see several really self-disclosures from God. God is revealing himself to us. First, um, he speaks to John in the sense of his immensity, that he fills all things because he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, and is implied in all things between. I'm the beginning and I'm the ending, I'm the source, and I'm the culmination, I'm the goal, I'm the source and goal and all things in between, speaking of his immensity. Then he designates himself in, re in respect to his eternity because he uses this phrase, who is and who was and who is to come. Well, there he speaks of his eternity. But then in the last phrase, he speaks of his omnipotence or all power where he says, the almighty. You know, how many almighties can there be? Well, there, there's one, the almighty, and in the Greek, the, the definite article is there before the word, designating him and him alone. No one stands beside him. No one is his equal or even close to him, certainly no one above him. So there it speaks in the sense of his power, uh, that he has all might or all power or all ability uh, to have all power is to be omnipotent. And he has a power that's so great, of course, that it's not capable for, we're not capable, and we don't have the capacity to fully comprehend it. Even when we begin to let our mind think and dwell on the fact that there is such a one who has power that is not limited by anything but himself, uh, it stretches us quite a bit. Almighty, I, I was looking uh, at the word itself and I found that it's used eight times in the book of the Revelation. And that to me, that tells me something about the book of Revelation, that the designation, the Almighty, referring to his omnipotence, is spread throughout the book. And it should be an encouragement to us as Christians, of course, that 
God, in the book of Revelation, no matter what the challenges are before the church in all ages, is reminding us, though Satan uh, you know, tries to thwart every plan of the church, though he opposes us, though we often by sin oppose ourselves and we're challenged in that way, though the, the, the uh, trials and tribulations, the persecutions will come, we're reminded over and over eight different times in the book of Revelation that God, our Father, is the Almighty, that he has all power to do all he wills to do. And so Christians are often in, in times of great distress feeling a keen sense of a lack of power, right? You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what, what it is to be a Christian, is to be weak. You know, it's to be the sheep among the wolves oftentimes. And so don't get the feeling or the sense that, well, I've just got to gin up some strength, you know, within myself. I've got to grab hold of my bootstraps and just be more motivated and just be more dedicated and just, just, just. Remember that the power comes from a source outside of ourselves. We belong completely bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. We belong to the Almighty, the one who has all power to do all things. And because he loves us and protects us and preserves us, we shall endure. And I think that's the book, the message of the book of Revelation of you. So I thought you'd be encouraged by that because I certainly was. So how much power does God have? All. He has the power to do all he wills to do. Just difficult for us to comprehend in that sense. Well, let's go to Jeremiah now in chapter 32. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17 read these words. And this reminds me of a chorus that I sang about 30 years ago. And if possible, and if it's good enough, we want our music to be excellent as, as best we can before God. We want to, I want to re-look at that and see if it's worthy of us singing as, as a congregation. But it's based on this verse, Jeremiah 32, verse 17, where he says, Ah, Lord God, Behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Now, and does anybody else remember that chorus before we look at the verse just a little bit? Uh, okay, it's, it's an old one, uh, but, but uh, some of you are, have a few more years than me, so I thought maybe if I remember it. It went something like this. It, uh, Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the earth and the heavens by Thy great power. And repeats it again, and it says, Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. And then it repeats it again. That's it's kind of catchy. It's reminding me of this verse. So. The singing's free. You don't have to pay for that. <laughs> um, but looking at the verse... He, he says, you've stretched out the heavens and the earth by your great power. And then he, he ends with this, this statement. Nothing is too difficult for you. Now, if we consider that the creation of the universe itself was not a difficult thing for God. And you don't, you don't have the idea, do you, that it was difficult for God to speak all things that exist into creation? It was not with difficulty. God has such great power that it was no difficult thing for him. It brings him glory for us to consider the fact that we couldn't, we couldn't even create much of anything, and certainly nothing out of nothing. 
But even in our creative powers, we struggle to create. But God, with ease, spoke all things into existence, which formerly did not exist. And so he writes there, then, if that's true, that you can create everything, then nothing is too difficult for you. Remember, we're coming into the Advent season, and in Luke, chapter, we don't have to turn to the verse there, but in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, after the angelic announcement, to Mary that she would bear Christ and she's starting to consider those things and she's starting to think it over and of course she believed but you know she'd just be overwhelmed by the thought she says this she says to the angel how can these things be considering that God would become incarnate and it would be her child and that it's the Son of God by the power of the Spirit, she would be the one honored to bear Christ into the world. She said, how, how, how can God become man? I mean, all of those things that we wonder at at the incarnation of the joining of eternal God into humanity. And what was the angel's response? Do you remember? Right, you're right on. With, with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing. Even the Son, eternal Son, coming and joining himself for all time to uh, humanity. And he did that so that we might be able to be joined to God for all time. So nothing is too difficult. I, I like that verse for that reason. We, we must not think of anything as too difficult for him. Even in the creation, uh, it wasn't difficult for God. Maybe you've thought of it that it was, you know, that it was some great exercise of his power. Now, I mean, it was great in the sense of awe. It's awe-inspiring. Amazing. But with God, his power is not limited. He didn't have to recharge his batteries after he created the world. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get to that sixth day and say, Whew, I'm glad there, or, I'm glad there's not eight days. Or, <laughs> you know, or, 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 you know, I could never do this a second time. No. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to work that way. Yeah, so on the seventh day, he rested, not because he was exhausted, but because he was satisfied. Yes, yeah. He looked over his works with satisfaction. What was complete. Mm -hmm. what, what he wanted to do was complete. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's, a, that's a, it's just a great way, a great perspective, you know, to, a, a way to think of the power of our God. And uh, everything runs out of power, you know? I mean, I use battery-operated drills and saws and things that work, and, and the guys that work for me do. And I mean, all of you at home, you have things that need, they need electricity, they need power, they need gasoline, they need diesel. We're always running out of power. <laughs> God never, His power never diminishes because God never diminishes whatsoever uh, in any aspect. All right, well, let's continue to look over. Let's go back to Job and chapter 42. Job 42 and verses 1 and 2. I wanted to look at this because some, sometimes we get to thinking, and some Christians have mistakenly believed that the will of God can, in fact, be frustrated or changed. And his will is um, 
can be thwarted, so to speak. And uh, there is a sense in which that's true. I'll, I'll try to bring that out. But essentially, in God's essence, His nature, who He is, um, being omnipotent would preclude the fact that His will could ever be thwarted. And so in Job 42, verse 1, then, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. I know you can do all things. You're all powerful. And that relates to every purpose that you eternally and secretly have determined to do. So Job says that God's will can't be frustrated because he has all the power to do all he wants to do. Not some of the things he wants to do and man prevents him or angelic powers prevent him. And it's the funny thing about, about some of our Christian brothers and sisters who don't believe that entirely Reformed teaching or what you just define as biblical teaching is that they, if you say you believe God is all powerful, absolutely all powerful. How much power? All the power he wants to do. But then you talk about in relation to their own salvation and who chooses whom and who preserves whom and who is the faithful one. And they always draw back, don't they? And say, well, you know, God created with a will that he won't violate. And, you know, it's our will that determines this and determines that. You always want to encourage them to go back to the former statement. And remember that God has the power to do all he wills to do, and his will is always done. Not some of the time, but all of the time. He does whatever he wants with whomever he wants, and and that is without exception. Now, I asked earlier, is God's will always done? There's an aspect of which his will is not always done. Would you look at Deuteronomy 29.29? Probably a lot of you already had that verse in mind. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It helps us to divide the way we look at God and his will and whether it's always done into his eternal essence versus what he has commanded man to do. 29, Deuteronomy verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So if we, in order to understand God, divide the idea of God's will and his power into, uh, especially his will, the secret things which belong only unto God and the things which are revealed, then we can say the secret will of God is always done without exception. It is that which God has purposed to do. All things whatsoever God purpose to do, that's what comes to pass. That's what the Westminster Confession says. That's what the unfolding of the creation of the world in human history is. It's the coming to pass of the purpose of God without change, without exception, without alteration. Yet, it says in the verse that the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may do them. The revealed will of God is thou shalt not have any other gods before God, shall not lie, steal, commit adultery. Well, are, are those, that's the will of God. Is it not the will of God that we, that we do those things? Those things are broken, often. 
So we have to understand that the will of God, the revealed will of God, is not always done. It's not always done in me. God, you know, help us that it is by the new birth, but it's not always done. The will of God is not always done in you. We break the will of God. We break the commandments of God. And so, but that is not saying that the will of God in his eternal purpose is not being done because God can use, he can cause things to be done, he can cause others to do them, he can prevent things from being done, he uses secondary causes, but his secret will is always done without variation. So it's a a distinction that has always helped me to try to understand when God's will is being done. It's always done, uh, his secret will, without uh, exception. But his revealed will is not, because men break the commandments of God. Is this referred to as the prescriptive and the decretive yeah. will? Yeah, exactly the same, yeah. yeah. Decretive meaning God's decree, God's eternal decree. He decreed that all things whatsoever come to pass, and they do. And But he, obviously, being an infinite mind, cannot and will not reveal that to us, uh, except by providence, you know. Uh, as it unfolds before us, we recognize this has been the will of God. But um, but the prescriptive, you know, proscriptive, the, the, the <coughs> commands of God are that which he's commanded us to do. And so, you know, it's like a father, you know, if I, if I tell my children, all right, I want you to, uh, if I use Philip as an example, Philip, I want you to go out this door and go to the van and get this item and bring it back to me. I've, in a sense, commanded Philip to do something with the authority of a father. And so if Philip were to go out and he were to uh, go out to the van and stay in the van and not return, he has not followed the will of the father. He has not done what I asked him to do. He he violated that command. Uh, That my will would not be done in that case. And so with God, he's commanded us to do this or not to do that. And, and those things are often violated. So in that sense, we could say the will, the revealed will of God is not always done. But does that change God in his essence or in his eternal purpose? And why? Does it frustrate God? I mean, you know, in the sense that we could, that humans are frustrated. I mean, if we don't cooperate with it. Frustrates me at times when my children don't cooperate with me, right? I'm sure that I frustrate my children when I don't cooperate with them. <laughs> but is God frustrated about us? We can't think of God in those terms. Not an emotional God. Right. Not emotional. Right. Not in the sense that we are, right? Right. Driven by passion to make this or that choice. That's right. It's not like we didn't know we weren't. <laughs> okay. Right, would God be caught by surprise on anything? Okay. You guys are good learners. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he always has good things to add, so I always want to give him the opportunity. Well, you know, uh, since God is not revealing all of his secrets to me, and he won't show me the future in some little spiritual crystal ball, then what is my and your responsibility before God whom we know his will will be done? And ultimately, no matter what the circumstances of our lives, how we may act or not act, how others may act or not act, 
and all the forces in the unseen world are coming into play, how do we rest our minds upon the fact that God's will will be accomplished exactly as he purposes it? Um, maybe I'm off on this, but I would think no matter what he says, he knows that, and he also has given us provision wherein we can go to him because of Christ, we have the access to him to where um, we can take it before him. And his will be done. I mean, he may decide or choose that he's choosing to do it one way or leave us matter. He told um, St. Paul, uh, my grace is sufficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he wasn't necessarily delivered from that particular thing, even though he asked several times, you know. But uh, God had a purpose to it. And let him in that particular Right. And you, you hit on it, Sandra, when you said, Thy will be done. I think that's where the place of, of rest is for the Christian. Is it's not that we don't pray with all of our hearts. We're commanded to pray that way. It's not that we don't pour out our confessions and complaints uh, and worship before him. We are to do that. And and those prayers are effective. God has, has ordained it to be so. But what we're recognizing is when things do not go the way we want them to go or expect them to go, when sudden shocks and, and starts hit us in life, we, we come back to that and we resolve ourselves in, thy will be done. Even Jesus, you know, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, showing us the example of total submission to God, even in the most difficult and trying circumstances. I remember uh, reading earlier in, in preparation for the Acts 17 study, you know, that, that in the book of Acts, there were a lot of, a lot of times when, when the brethren were, would try to prevent Paul from doing something. Paul would say, you know, uh, he was the leader, obviously, and, and we're going to go this way. The Spirit's, you know, saying go this way. And, oh, Paul, you don't want to go over there. There's persecution over there. Now, we, we heard there's, there's Jews lying in wait, you know, to, to, to capture you and, and, and persecute you, you know. And I mean, some of those, uh, some of those were pretty uh, emotional meetings, were they not? You remember reading that in the book of Acts, especially when later, after Acts seventeen, when he was going to go to Jerusalem, and and for sure he knew that there'd be persecution awaiting there, and so he expressed that the Spirit had told him about that, and and they just, oh no, Paul, don't go there. We don't want you to go. They loved him, and they didn't want to lose their their great pastor and evangelist and friend. And uh, and but what did they do? It says that they were, when he couldn't be persuaded. They resolve themselves to the will of God. And so that's, that's the answer. That's, the, that's the, the hard bedrock that we land on when we try to answer those questions about, about God and his will, his power. So. Anything else on, on that particular aspect of can God's will be, would be frustrated or, or prevented? I think that, um, you know, um, it's not just the secret will of God that frustrates us. Sometimes that's easier to handle than the revealed will that we keep breaking. Mm-hmm. And even Paul said that. Because I want to do what I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. He was frustrated by that. Mm-hmm. And I think for the Christian, 
the way we deal with that is confession and repentance and looking forward to the time when all of God's will will be done, secret and revealed. The fact that we break his revealed will is only in this life. There's going to be a time when the revealed will of God will be done perfectly by us, mm-hmm. of all things. Yeah. And, you know, we look forward to that. Yes. So. Yeah. Bonnie said on the fact that it's very frustrating, even, even for Paul, uh, you know, that good which we would do, we, we, we don't find the power to do it, and, and the evil which we would not do, and we determine not to do, we, we do. And, uh, but uh, and that, that is a challenge. That's a constant challenge for us, Bonnie. And, uh, but that hope that, that you spoke of, too, that in an immortal body, in a new heavens and new earth in which only righteousness dwells, then we will be able, our will and our mind and our intentions and our whole existence will be merged perfectly with the secret will of God. There will be no, there will be no opposition to it as there is now in us uh, because the sin will be gone. So what a great day that will be. May it be soon when we see the Lord return and all things are made right. All right, well, let's look now to Ephesians 20 as we come back to the New Testament a little bit. Ephesians 3.20. This is a familiar verse to us. We use it as a doxology, parting words. Very fitting, encouraging for the church. Speaking of the last part of verse 19 speaks of the strength of God's might. We're talking about his omnipotence. He has power to do all he wills to do. And so verse 20 says, speaking of that power, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, uh, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That is not where I want to read. That is, that's great, and that's fitting. I do. It is three twenty. I was reading one twenty. Okay, thank you. I said three twenty. Did I not? Yes. Okay. All right. So. I don't have the power to do all I will to do. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, 320. 320. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we, that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It seems like the Apostle Paul cannot squeeze enough adjectives into that sentence to describe the power of God. Now, he doesn't say, now him who is able to do more than we think or ask. But what does he say? Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all. <laughs> he seems like he's just really, you know, how, how, how many modifiers can you throw in there? But that's, that's just it. How do we, in our language, describe that which is infinite and unlimited as uh, concerning his power. God is not able to, to do a little bit more than we think or ask. You know, I mean, you, I've heard some Christians say, well, I can think of, about quite a bit. Well, yes, you can. You can imagine quite a bit. 
you can think and you can ask for wonderful things and ought to. But Paul is not telling us that God can barely exceed our expectations. <laughs> he is telling us that God is able. He has the power to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever think or we could ever ask of him. Again, my heart says, that's God. I know the God of Scripture by grace, the true, eternal, all-powerful God, not a God of my own making, not an idol created by my own imagination, not a God like man, but a God who is truly God. And in that, there's peace, in that there's rest and there's resolve and there's uh, there is joy, you know. It's just joy and there's relief because daily there are things that are not giving us joy and relief, but we find in the scripture in our relationship to Christ that we have all we need, all that is necessary to settle our minds and to give us hope. So I like that verse. That's got to be that's got to be top ten Bible verses, right? If we were to if we were to do something like that, happy have to say top ten though. Well. I put a MacArthur quote in here. Uh, he, uh, he said concerning God's power that God exercises sovereign control over every person, over every object, over every event, and not one molecule in the universe is outside that dominion. Not even a molecule is outside of God's dominion. Well, let me ask you a couple of, of questions and we can uh, talk about it in the last few minutes that we have. What would God's infinite knowledge and infinite will be without omnipotence to back that up? Okay, Ron said useless. So we say God has an infinite will, a determinative will, and he has knowledge, but but what would that be if he didn't have the power to carry that will out and to, and to exercise his knowledge? It would fall flat, would it not? It would, it would be a desire that would be unfulfilled in God. It would be a purpose that could not be carried out. It would be less than God. Mm -hmm. Right. Certain things must be for God, you know, and, and infinite power is one of those. Uh, it just, it's just illogical to think of it any other way. If God, if his power were limited by another outside of himself, then it wouldn't be really God's will being carried out, would it? It would be whomever was more powerful than God upon whom he depended. It would be that will, but since there is no one outside of God or greater than God or influencing him in any way whatsoever, then, then we know that's not the case. How could God be forever faithful to his promises if it were not for omnipotence? God has given us eternal promises, has he not? And how could he be faithful to those if it were not for having all power? Be like making a law and can't enforce it. Right. You know, I read an article the other day about he's uh, texting while driving. 
it's a great law, but rather the law of trouble enforcing it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> God didn't have the power to enforce it. What good would the law do? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And crucifixion itself and the forgiveness of sin would never be a, uh, something of chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was great power, almighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And, uh, and so, yeah, what if that were left up to a God who may or may not have had the power to do what he will to do? That's absurd to a Christian mind, but I understand why you bring it up. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Just what if it, how could God truly be God, carry out his will and purpose if it were not for the aspect of, of omnipotence? To me, the thought of, of God willing something, wanting, desiring, that sense to do something that could somehow be prevented, someone or something or some sort of circumstance to prevent it, it, it it's an anemic idea of God. And uh, you know, an impotent idea of who he is. It's not not at all God. What about being able to judge men and angels at his return? How could he eternally reward some and eternally condemn others if he were not omnipotent? So in all any aspect you want to think of it really, God must be all powerful. He must be above all, without exception. Yeah, John? If it wasn't for his omnipotence, we wouldn't have the Bible. Because he had to control all aspects and yeah. over the entire written history of all the men and all the circumstances that they were involved in to have a word. And then his omnipotence has to be in effect to not only have given us the word, but to make sure that all the future events comes into play uh, under his canopy of his will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is everything. I mean. mm-hmm. Yeah, preserving the scriptures. Yeah. yeah, we might counter those today that say, well, you don't have, you know, you don't really have the true Bible or you've got a perversion of it or you don't have the right translation of it. We can counter those things with just exactly what you said. Well, God who has given his word has been truthful and he has also sovereign preserved that word uh, and it's faithful it is faithful it's not perverted it's not distorted although there are translations that attempt to do that but we recognize that that we have the, the written word of God faithfully given and because God sees to that and that's been a battle hasn't it and it's still a battle now it's not a battle anymore to have a physical copy thank God that that battle was fought and we uh, are appreciative of those who, who fought that battle for us, ahead of us. But what is the battle today for the Word of God? Reliability. Reliability of it. The veracity of it. The fact of whether it is or isn't mm-hmm. the Word of God. Right. And the outright perversion of it by those who intend to proclaim it, but uh, pervert it. So that's right. The battle remains for us, but God is uh, faithful in preserving it and calling those to to teach it. And within the church, the sufficiency of the word. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for the believer, uh, all you need for life and godliness is here. Uh, Other things can be helpful, but at the end of the day, what you have in the word uh, is sufficient for every, Mm -hmm. every circumstance in life. Doesn't always give you 
specifics in a circumstance, but it does give you the principles to live by. And if you will live by those principles, you can trust that God will be faithful to his promise uh, to watch over, to care, and to be there with you. So really, you need both of those essential attributes, God's power and his will. Take away either one, then the believer has no confidence. Right. From, right. Uh, because he either has the will and not the power to affect it, or he has power, but you don't know what he's going to be doing. So right. uh, there's nothing to rest in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, John? Uh, I think something that, that I just came to me or I thought of that is important for Christians in today's society, there are many people who want to argue that, well, the Bible was maybe good when it was written, but it does not apply to our age or our time, or they'll try to say, well, it's a living document that changes with our time, and so what the Bible was saying then maybe meant that then, but it doesn't necessarily apply to now. And the thing I always have to go back to is the scripture where it says, God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And people may change, and people may change their beliefs, but that does not change the scripture or what was written in the scripture by the prophet. That's right. And you, you know, for the, for people to say that the Bible is somehow irrelevant or it's outdated is to say God himself is irrelevant or outdated, and that cannot be. And simply it's just uh, a way to try to get themselves out from underneath God's standard and authority. What is so beautiful is the fact that even though man tries to change it, and it's in Christ said... Thy word is forever settled in the heavens. Because so no matter what man's doing down, you know, in, in this God's already it's given settled. his word and we cannot break it. Right. That's right. We, you know, and by his grace and mercy we have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I uh, I was looking at and I guess sometimes I spend too much time looking at Facebook posts, but <laughs> this week I was looking at a, a post by a cousin of mine who we were raised together in a Christian home and believing the Bible and the Word of God and, and I had to think about how much her beliefs have changed from when her bringing up and the way she was raised and she was just mentioning in her post that her, her father had died just before Christmas many years ago now and how this time of year has always been difficult for her because her father and her brother both had died in this month of December. And how God in the past had always brought her through. And she knew that he forward slash she would bring her through again. And I'm thinking to myself, how the how awful, how could anyone who possibly was raised believing the way you believe have been so perverted in their mind to even allow that thought to enter their mind? 
that political correctness. Right. Well, we're renewed by the Word of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word to renew us, and it maybe it's possible that those principles that she learned uh, as a youth, she's uh, they're there, but she's let them slip, and she's not renewing her, renewing her mind. We need to renew our minds with the Word. Bonnie? Yes, I was just going to say, you know, Jesus said that every jot and tittle would be fulfilled, and how can that happen if it's constantly changing? Right. So... Yeah, the smallest marks of punctuation, you know. And if those are fulfilled entirely, yeah. I mean, there, there cannot be variation with God. Else he's not God. And, and that applies to every aspect and every way we might think of him. There's no shadow of turning. No shadow of turning. why a study like this is so important because our view of God is the foundation of everything else we believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. You'll often hear uh, pastors, and I've even heard Phil and Jay speak of it, that uh, speak of high view of God, high view of Scripture. That that's what they mean by that. Is we take a high view. We we allow the Bible to speak uh, on its own authority. And we don't dumb down the idea of God to our liking or dumb down the scriptures or we don't edit the scriptures. We don't go along and say, well, you know, I don't necessarily as a pastor agree with that section of scripture. So when I come to it, I'll just pass over it or I'll just give it lip service, you know, <laughs> that that's not faithful. Um, it's done, isn't it? It happens. But uh, we, we take a high view. Uh, we believe God as he has revealed himself. And it's a struggle, though, isn't it, to the human mind. It's a struggle to our, to our limitations. But maybe with God's help, we, we learn to let the Scriptures uh, mold and shape our thinking. And as, as Donnie said, that sets the foundation, really. It's, it's kind of a reset to get everything else in perspective to understand uh, who God is. Well, thank you guys so very much for 